Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Please be advised this story contains adult content and graphic language. I'm in this room and they make me write a statement. And so I'm writing a statement and I'm like, oh yeah, he's like a little brother. He wouldn't hurt a fly. And da, da, da. I go, hey, Johnny, read off those numbers to me, to that gun. Tell me what did they say. And uh, he reads them off, uh, Daryl Wozniak. And I just was like, dropped my pen, and I was like, oh, shit, what I get myself into? Welcome to Sleuth. I'm Linda Sawyer. With another exclusive, Sleuth speaks to Tim Wozniak's lifelong former friend, Bob Castillo. Bob shares his stories that help present a window into Tim Wozniak's world. Bob's insights reveal Tim's role in the murders of Sam Hare and Julie Kibuishi. Murders that, for now, only his younger brother Dan sits alone for on San Quentin's death row. Sources tell me that Daniel Wozniak worries that this podcast will reveal enough of Tim's participation, which could ultimately land Tim in a cell right next to his brother. Is he right? After listening to this week's episode, let us know what you think on our Facebook podcast page at facebook.com forward slash sleuth podcast. So, Bob Castilla, I want to welcome you to Sleuth today and thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. So, with that, for our listeners' benefit, you knew Tim Wozniak quite a bit. I mean, you knew him way back in your early years, probably one of his closest friends at one point. That would be correct. And over the years, did you start seeing a change in him? Because he came to you with some pretty odd requests and a very strange offer that made you wonder what was going on in his life at that point. And this was about a few days after the murders took place. So I want to talk about what he came and offered to you at that moment. Well, I was at a friend's house, and he had come over 
with Afghanistan money and a card that he said was his dad's gas card. And he asked if me and my friend wanted to fill our tanks up. And I told him, we don't take stolen stuff here. This isn't the first time you've come with it. We told you not to bring that stuff here. I don't know where to get the Afghanistan money turned in, go to the embassy or the American Council. Where did you get it? And he was just like, gave me some bullshit where he got it. And so did you by any chance see the actual physical card and see Sam Hare's name on it? Never touched the card. Didn't even look at it. Just said no. So you knew this was something that he's done in the past and you just figured once again, you don't want to be bothered with that, not knowing that it was attached to a double homicide. Yeah, I didn't want to be involved with a felony because of something he he was doing before I even had any clue what it was really about, which is way more serious. And you had seen your friend over the years sort of decline into this drug-fueled life that he had. He wasn't really holding a job. He was let go from the UPS job, from what I understand from his cousin, Kathleen Comfort said that he lost his job because he was stealing some of the packages. Oh, he was also, he, the main reason was he didn't do the deliveries for UPS. He fell asleep in the back of the, the truck and did deliveries with his car. And the toddler was like, why were you standing still for five hours with your truck when you should have been doing deliveries? And they, they figured out, well, he didn't do his deliveries. So there was a tracker that could tell that he wasn't fulfilling those obligations. Correct. So... He never really could sustain a job after that point and pretty much relied on his mother for financial needs, correct? His mother and father, I'd say. Right. And so with that, a lifestyle of moving from place to place, because I would imagine at times his mother didn't even want him at the house anymore. And on the contrary, she used to tell me to go find him and bring him back to the house. And she was always like, come back to the house. I'm building a, an upstairs addition with big screen TVs and a billiard room and everything for you. And he chose to not live that way. He chose to live in actually a, a bum camp up the street from his house. It was really odd. It was called Ten City, right? I think so, yes. <laughs> and what is Ten City? It's like a place where... It's a bum camp. Okay. It's where a bunch of bums tent out behind under the freeway. And it's pretty disgusting. Okay. He had told me that there were times that his mother would change the combination because because he was doing drugs and she was upset with him. So she would sometimes kick him out, but it sounds like she always welcomed him back at some point. He had brought people over there and he had there was like things that were missing in the house and she was starting to kind of doubt if her trust with them and but he eventually would work his way back into her heart. Yeah. yeah well, I don't know. Yeah, mother's unconditional love or whatever. I mean, the, the the home is a beautiful home. She had a job with uh, the government and the Cerritos Parks and Rec Department, correct? I mean, she was a superintendent, right? Yep. She did me a solid a long time ago, and that's one of the reasons why I did what I did, too. She brought me in like family, took me to a family trip on a cruise around the islands of Hawaii and took parasailing and submarine ride, you know, so I don't forget that kind of stuff. So what I did is that's part of the reasons I had her kids back at the time. And before we get into what you did, which was commendable, you did tell me the story about that one cruise where she set aside a certain amount of money for you guys to have some drinking fun. 
And ultimately, he pretty much used that whole budget himself and didn't ever tell you that some of it was allotted for you? Uh, yeah, it was like uh, she gave us $2,800 a drink, and uh, I think he was 1700 or something that over that. And I and she was horrified, right? She came to you. What's the deal? You guys drank all. Well, she's like, he's like, you didn't overcharge my mom's car, and I'm like, no, I paid for everything on my own. And then she, that's when she told. She's like, Tim, you went seventeen hundred dollars over the twenty eight hundred I gave you and Bob to drink. <laughs> so that was the first you heard of that. Uh, I mean, I, I was I didn't really care. I had my own money, so it was it would have been a it would be cool because it's kind of expensive for uh, alcohol on the boats, but. I bought me some bottles and stuff. I'm not really a big drinker anyway, so. So that just is an indication of. But when uh, I first met him, I mean, he was a real trustworthy guy. He was a stand-up guy when I first met him. He was a good friend of mine for a long time. We got him a job at the High Hill, the Camp High Hill Outdoor School. We did that for about a year together and all the way from 10th grade on uh, onto where. Is that when, you, when your relationship, your friendships first began, 10th grade? You, you want to know how I, I met Tim? Where I was going to geology, and uh, I had a hooter in my ear, um, cannabis, um, non-recreational. And he, he actually pointed out to me while I was going into my football coach's class, and he was like, uh, hey, dude, you got that in your ear. And so I was like, oh, man, thanks. And so then we went to the class. We you had mean a, like stuck behind your ear? Like a cigarette would be in your ear, but okay. it wasn't a cigarette. Okay. And so we went to class. We had a geology test, and he actually helped me and a couple other guys pass the test because he knew all the epidote and the in the courts and all that, the names of them all. And that was pretty cool. And he was always a little weird, though, like invited me over to the house to have some drinks, gave me a drink, and then hit me over the head with a pool stick because he said I drank his parents' alcohol. I was laughing at the time, but uh, yeah, my friend was laughing, thought I was going to kill him, but he just... He cracked it over your head, the pool stick? Yeah. It was just Tim's a little quirky sometimes, you know? You also told me something about a, a strange sexual habit he had with women. Oh, oh. What was that all about? The what? Oh, the... Oh, man. <laughs> it's pretty gross. But, I mean, he was so cherry-pied that he, like, actually... Wrapped cellophane on this girl for the first time. So instead of, I guess before he had intercourse with her. Well, he was doing the the down south thing, right? And put cellophane on her. For some reason, he thought that keep like that's good to do. And that's when I like told him, like, dude, you, you know, you got some issues with that. And uh, he went from. And didn't you say his mother sort of indoctrinated him? Told him that be careful with germs and all that. <laughs> I mean, I did tell him. You know, he went from like cellophane his girl up to just eating out of the trash. You know, so uh, quite an arc. Big jump, a big jump. He, his whole life was like that, though. A big jump from. When did you feel he was starting to sink into decline, and you really started took a step back from your friendship? Uh, I started being leery of him when he couldn't tell the truth anymore. And, and it was during like the UPS times when he was like, he was getting really shady and, uh, doing shady stuff and lying and doing things that just was un, unhonorable things, you know, but he just stepped his game up every year, <laughs> you know, so to where he's And the now. drugs were more than just the cannabis. They were... They were pretty heavy drugs, yeah. right? We're talking about maybe crystal meth, and he. I think you know when you start probably uh, getting too involved in things to where it start taking over his rationality and his priority list in life, and 
smoking it really fucked him up, I think. It fucks a lot of people up, but it really fucked him up. He really liked it. And that's how people are with that. I think you even said to me when, when you're on crystal meth like that, you become soulless. Like you just, there isn't anything you won't do to get. I think if you're bad, it makes you worse. It enhances the the bad in you, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, what he did is not a normal thing that people would do, even if they were on that. What he did, it was already inside of him already. You just don't. I think at one point you said to me, the name of your book should be Crystal Meth. <laughs> just meth. Just meth. Meth. <laughs> you feel deed. like that is the core of a lot oh, of sure. what they happened have, here. They, have, uh, they had money coming in. They, had, they could have had other avenues of doing their things. I mean, if Danny hadn't have gone off the deep end, he, he was the, the golden child in the house. And then he went from that to not allowed over the house. And that's when I was highbrow and things. And Tim wanted to hang out with them. And Tim hated his brothers. He like never talked good about his brother from as long up until the time he was for like, many years, right? There was up a until the time he said he was going to go move into his uh, balcony into a, a closet or something, right? And, and the Costa Mesa apartment. So we're jumping ahead here. Let's get back to the when you had the first indication that you needed to get involved with this evidence that you were told Tim has. Let's talk about how you first came in possession of the gun that murdered Sam Hare and Julie Kibuishi. Okay, so I was at my friend's house after he came the night before he came the next day. And his girlfriend, um, who I've known since seventh grade, and she told me, don't let Tim go get in trouble for something his brother did. And Tim was a little shaky and watery-eyed, and uh, she looked a little scared. And so I took him out on to the, the stair step way of the apartments I was at, and I talked to him, and I said, tell me what's going on. And Tim had given me a story about that his brother heard a gunshot, went upstairs, and... A neighbor in a neighbor's apartment. In the neighbor's apartments, who was... Uh, Sam Hare. Sam Hare. And so he said his brother heard a shot, and he went upstairs, and the roommate had shot the other roommate and gave him a gun. And then five minutes later, he told me his brother heard a shot and the roommate came running down and gave him the gun. And so he told me two different stories and I told him, you have this gun? And he said, yes. I was like, now, he's like, what should I do? I'm like, you're now involved with a double homicide. Two people are dead. Or he said something about people dying, you know, there was a girl, a girl dead, and then the roommate got shot. Because he, he told me two different stories, so I was a little confused. I just Did he knew, tell you at that time that two people were shot? He told me that, uh, first he told me that a girl got shot, and then he told me a girl got shot, and then a, the roommate got shot. So he told me two different stories. And this me, was the Wednesday night, the same night Dan was arrested for accessory after the fact at his bachelor party. That Wednesday night, because Thursday is when you brought in the gun, and that's when... Uh, Dan had confessed to everything. So that Wednesday night, Tim's telling you that two people were shot. Editor's note. The fact that Tim Wozniak told his friend Bob Castilla on the Wednesday night before Dan Wozniak confessed to the murders of Sam Hare and Julie Kibuishi? Well, the question is begged to be asked. How did Tim Wozniak know that that very gun indeed was involved in a double homicide. 
before anybody confessed to anything. Um, yeah, pre- like he said, this girl got shot, and then he said the girl got shot, and then I think the roommate got shot. He told me two different stories, like I said. Right. And uh, I told him, well, now you're involved with a double homicide. You hid that gun, and now you could get nine years per life that 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 was lost because you're hiding this gun. And he's like, well, what should I do? I said, well, dude, we'll go get that gun. You got to turn it in. He told me a story that he gave it to some uh, old man with the prior uh, manslaughter. I'm like, why would you do that? I'm like, go get that gun. And he's like, I'll do it tomorrow. I'm like, dude, what is more important than getting this over with? You know, you can't, you're, the longer you hold it, the more trouble you're going to be getting into. So anyways, I told him, you call me tomorrow by 12. And if you don't call me about tomorrow by 12, I'm going to have to really doubt your uh, involvement in this. Uh, your brother and you are not involved in this. He's like, no. I go, once we go through with this, can't turn back. And everything you tell me, I'm not getting jammed up. I'm going to tell him. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. So the next day he didn't, he didn't get a hold of me. And I tracked his girlfriend down, and he had happened to be just pulling up. And I said, don't And that's tell- Lisa Golich at the time was his girlfriend. And so I said, uh, I said, don't tell him I'm on the phone. Just hand him the phone to me. And so he did. And I said, Tim, get over here, and let's do that. And so he's like, all right, I'm coming right now. So he came down. I called my a friend that we had been training his dog. Me and a friend were training his dog. He's a police officer. and From the Long Beach. Well, I, had a, I have a friend that was a homicide detective, actually, in Long Beach at East Division. But it's a pretty embarrassing thing, so I didn't really want to involve him with it. So I called uh, another officer I knew, and I told him I got this gun it was involved with a double murder and he's like that's pretty serious i'm like you know so he's like all right i'll come by so me and tim went and we stopped and you still hadn't seen physically seen the gun yet right so you knew nothing about its owner or anything like that okay so tim comes by in his girlfriend's car and we go over to stop at this don's hotel because he said he had to check out real quick and from there we went to his house to the wozniak home correct daryl and marianne's home and that's when he came out with a black pouch and unzipped it and I looked in there, and it was a 9 millimeter, I believe. And it was his dad's gun that he used to carry around. And I told him, dude, this looks just like your dad's gun. He was like, yeah, I know. I was, I was like, is your dad's gun in there? And he's like, I can't find it. And I looked at him. I'm like, dude, did you touch this gun? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, you kind of idiot are you, you know? Wait, he was saying that... He wasn't acknowledging that it was his father's gun at that point. No. He just said he just agreed with you that it looked like yes. his father's gun. But he said his father's gun was somewhere else. He said he didn't know where his dad's gun was and that, you know, it looks like his dad's gun. And I, so I, I took Wasn't a, there the dad's name on the case that you unzipped? I didn't see it if there was, but I unzipped it and I held or it. Or I think it. it was on the wooden box and then he just took the zip. Like the was, zipper it's, thing it's is like, the glove right around it's like the, a leather um, zipper pouch that okay. holds the gun in. okay. And so I unzipped it with the tissue and touched it with the tissue and of re- read off the serial numbers. So then we went back to my house. Just so you know, that leather pouch that you unzipped mm-hmm. actually was held inside a wooden box. And that wooden box had okay. Daryl's name on it. So Tim knew it was his father's gun. Of because, course he did. Yeah. Of course he did. He, he had that. I mean. You said he would go shooting with that gun often with his father, right? I'd, I don't know if he went shooting with it, but he always had it in the back of his, his trunk for uh, a long time a while yeah until his mom took his mustang away but uh mommy took the mustang well, you know hid it from him she hid <laughs> it still from him. in some uh, that's undis- when he got the dui um did he get a dui a long time ago he's got another one too i don't know how many he's had but 
Hard, yeah, hard so to we, keep track. Yeah, so we went from his house and to my house. For some reason, I just thought, we'll go to my house. He's Johnny will come over to the house, Johnny Law, and take care of this and straighten this out. So we went to my house. I so took, you left the Wozniak home with the gun and went back to your house. Yeah. Why, why did you do that? I didn't want to embarrass his mom and dad or bring him down, and I had no clue what, the, what was going on. What was going on? I just figured your brother maybe was threatened to hold this gun or something, you know. So I told him to go to my house. We'll get this straightened out. Because at that point, what you knew of Dan, Danny, as you refer to him, Wozniak, was he was just this theater geek, right? I mean, you said everybody thought he was gay, and the brothers didn't really get along. They they had no nothing in common. Uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, what I've seen of Danny since, you know, this has all happened is not the Danny that I know. Uh, the Danny I know is, uh, so, you know, it was, uh, he was a kid that used to play magic tricks at their yeah, Christmas yeah, parties, yeah. the family Wozniak yeah, Christmas parties. Yeah. I mean, Tim said on the stand when he first met Rachel, they were all relieved he wasn't gay. Yeah. And, and you know, like, he, you know, Rachel was probably his second girlfriend he ever had. And, uh, Obviously, Rachel is dirtbag, and she was a big part of changing Danny into what he is today because he was not like that before he was with her, and I'm sure Tim was the bridge to make it worse. But So you go back to your house with Tim and the gun. Was Lisa with you as well? When you no, went Lisa. he had Lisa's car, and Lisa was not with us, and Lisa was not there when I talked to him about it on the porch. We so you were waiting for your Long Beach detective to yeah, arrive. Yeah, and he told me, I got to call, I got to do one stop, and then I'll come by. So we're waiting, and Tim's bawling, and I'm Bawling like, meaning crying? Yeah, and so I'm like, I go, why don't you go home, get your mom and dad, and meet me down at East Division, and we'll get this all straightened out. And he said, okay, and he left. I sat and waited for a little bit longer. Um, you know, he sat with me on the front porch for a half hour. With Didn't he call his mother in front of you at one point? Uh, he did, and... Uh, they had a conversation, and he started bawling real hard. And then, Marion wasn't happy, right? I mean, she, you know, she was upset about him even bringing the gun forward, right? I, I don't know if that was why she was upset or what she was upset about, but he had told her that we're waiting for the police officer to come over here right now. I still at this you point, told me that she said something like you doomed your brother. No, that's what Tim told me. Tim, that Tim said his mother said. Tim's that like, to him. yeah, my mom said I doomed my brother, and I'm like, what? And and so he's bawling, and I said, you know what? Go get your mom and dad, meet me down in the East Division, and we'll get this straightened out. So he said, okay, and he left. I sat there till Johnny came up, a sergeant and a couple other officers. And Johnny is the Long Beach detective. Yeah, Johnny Law. And so when he came to my house, he's like, they want to take you out by a SWAT team, which means barricade the street and get you on the ground on your stomach and bring you out like a— Like a perp. Like a perk. <laughs> so I said, he's like, but I vouch for you. And I was like, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. We head down to the East Division. Everything's normal until the four detectives came. And my previous experience with detectives is anything you say, they're going to use against you. And they're not there to help you, really. I mean, it's just the facts. And uh, so I told them, like, I know what you guys are about. So I'm just going to let you know that you don't have to play like you're my friends. I'm just going to let you know that uh, this is what's going on. And this is what I know. And, and I'll tell you everything I know. Now I told Tim I, I'm going to have to tell him because I'm not smarter than the FBI. And so they came over. They got the gun. Me and Johnny went down to East Division. The four detectives came up and jammed me up. This started at 12, and they jammed me up to about 9 o'clock. And this is just now the Long Beach this is authorities. No, this is not Costa Long Mesa Beach, Long Beach never really messed with me. It was just the Costa Mesa. 
when they came down, it was those. Oh, four, wait. So who, who was interrogating you? The four uh, detectives that were looking for the body parts at the um, nature center. The one guy that got killed. But are those four detectives Long Beach or Costa Mesa? Costa Mesa. So Coast, so Costa Mesa got the call to come up. Eternal Affairs jammed Johnny Law up for four hours how he knew me. He's like, don't ever tell me anything again. And I'm like, I'm like, I was just trying to throw you a bone, dude. I was like, Internal affairs for the Long Beach yeah, division. Yes. Okay. They wanted to know how he knew me and what his connection was. Yeah. And so he had explained I didn't know that till afterwards. Yeah, I was in that I was getting interrogated for like nine hours and So the people that were interrogating you were again the Costa Mesa detectives. Yes. Okay. Before they get to me, I'm in this room and they make me write a statement. And so I'm writing a statement, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's like a little brother. He wouldn't hurt a fly. And da, da, da. I go, hey, Johnny, read off those numbers to me, to that gun. Tell me what did they say. And uh, he reads them off, uh, Daryl Wozniak. And I just was like, dropped my pen, and I was like, oh, shit, what I get myself into? So at that point— Wait, wait, when, he, when he, you said to him, read the numbers— The serial he... numbers of the gun that I opened him and took. Okay. I told Johnny, I go, hey, I didn't touch him, but I read the numbers off. Uh, whose gun does this belong to? So you gave Johnny the numbers, or he he just read them. From I the gun. I read him. I read them off to Johnny. Okay, and then he ran the numbers, and that's when he came back to you and said, "Who was the owner?" It was of the all gun? in the substation. Yeah, and I heard it over the the radio saying, uh, "Gun came back as Daryl Wozniak's," and I was like, "Oh shit!" And so at that point, the four detectives were like, "You know, we need to talk to you," and they brought me into this room till nine o'clock at night. And we went over and over and over, and they kept saying, we think you're a good stand-up friend, but we also think you're trying to hide something. And I'm looking at them like, I don't know. What they were talking about the box and everything in the box, and I didn't know anything the about The crate, it. yeah, the crate. The crate. I With even, the tools and the bloody clothes and, the and all of and all Sam's that. possessions. Right, and I didn't even know what was in there until afterwards. But uh, So I told them, look. All you I'm, only knew what Tim told you. Right. And I, I go, you know, all I know is that two people were killed or something like that. And they're like, uh, they arrested me at that point. They handcuffed me and said, now you finally, why did it take you this long to use the word murder? I'm like, dude, there's a wanted sign with Sam Harris picture on it saying wanted with the murdered uh, Asian girl right next to it. I go, not only that, when I was coming down here, my friend, the officer, he showed me the same wanted sign. And when I was writing the statement, it was on the wall. So I said, you know, so they were all pissed off. They handcuffed And me. the only reason why you kept saying two homicides is because that's what Tim told you the night before. He told me two different things. And I told the officers, I'm like, hey, look, this guy can't tell uh, the truth if you put a gun to his mouth, you know. But I'm like, uh, he told me two different stories. And I will tell you everything, you know, he told me, which I told him I was going to do. And uh, and you did. And on the, on the uh, cuffs were slapped oh, on your wrist. Cuffed me up and took me in a little cramped up back of a cop car the whole time everybody's going you're doing the right thing and i'm like it, no, all the way it doesn't to, feel that way yeah from when i'm leaving my house that's when johnny was like you're doing the right thing they already have a full confession i can't tell you anything else and i was like what are you talking about and so through the interrogation i'm leaving in handcuffs in the back of a cop car to sit to, to head down to costa mesa yes now. and the the one officer is like you're doing the right thing because again <laughs> the people that were interrogating you were the costa mesa police but right. they had come up Detectives. to the long beach yes. station to get me to get you and that's when they interrogated right. you interviewed you whatever right. and then brought you down to costa mesa mm after they decided to arrest you now, for accessory after the fact. Now, mind you, 12 o'clock to 9 o'clock, no one could find Tim or any high... You know, they've looked at his house, his girlfriend's house. They've looked all over the place. And I said, look, all I know is the last time he was checking out of this hotel by Brooks College or whatever. And so the, they told me, 
well, he better be there. Or you're going to be in a lot of trouble. You guys, you know, it's like, this is why people don't help you guys out. Cause look, now look at me. And yeah. so I'm, I'm going jammed totally up. jammed up for doing the right thing. So I go to the, to the Costa Mesa, um, station and there's these two dudes that look like they haven't slept for days. These two detectives, I tell them just polygraph me. I've been at this all day and they're like, well, we appreciate you, your cooperation. Uh, what was this, uh, hotel you're talking about? And I told the one detective, I go, it was, uh, I, I called it, um, I call it, I call it something else. I was like, Poncho's. I said, it was Poncho's Hotel by Brooks College, you know, but that's the restaurant. Don's you're talking about. It's the Don's and Poncho's the restaurant next to it. Got it. I didn't know the Don's was the name at the time. And uh, the one detective was like, I think I know what, what place you're talking about. Tell me, go in the cell. Don't talk to anybody. Tell them why you're here and just kick back. So I did. And around 2.30 in the morning, they're like, four guys came in. They're like, okay, you could leave now. And, and so, the reason why... Lisa and Tim were burning Afghan money and credit cards, Sam's, some of Sam's cards, was because they knew you were, all of a sudden, they, you, they couldn't find you, right? She, she had the sense of knowing she didn't hear from you for a pretty long period of time, so she just figured it was a matter of time before the police showed up Who? at the hotel. Lisa? Yeah. She told Tim, she's like, what do you think, what do you think Bob is right now? Bob's in jail. Waiting, they're waiting to find you before they let him out. And obviously... He'd and get, she said, go get some vodka because this is our last night here. They're going to come. I don't know anything about that. Okay. <laughs> but well, uh, but uh, I, I do know that she was telling him. She told me that. Just so okay. You know. yeah. so she, she told me that she was like, I knew you were in jail. They were all looking for him, and they, they were going to hold you until they find him. And, and it was a matter of time before they showed up, she said, at the hotel. And I don't think he had much interest in uh, – he didn't even give a rat's ass. Like, he tried to give me this card. That card, he, I later found out from me that three times he was denied on it. Right. And then I Because he didn't know the zip code. So when you use those cards, and it was a debit card he was using, you need to put in the zip code at the gas station. And when you can't put the proper zip code in – it it kicks it back, and that's what happened. Fucking bastard. Fucking <laughs> bastard, man. So, uh, yeah, what a dick. But, um, yeah, so... I mean, because if you did, which you wouldn't and you didn't, right. but if you did take him up on that offer, <laughs> that would have implicated you. Oh, it implicated him. I would have strangled him the minute I saw him. But, yeah, no, I, I, I didn't even touch the card, and I told him what I told you about bringing shit like that over to... Because my buddy was pissed about that. But when he found out everything that happened, I mean, he was like, don't ever, it was like dead rabbits. Don't bring his name up anymore. A lot of people, you know, were like already talking about, oh, you know, this and that. And I, you know, like I was trying to hang in his corner as long as I could. But after I started piecing it all together, I was like, you know, this is not, this is not looking good. <laughs> it's not looking good at all. No. And then, of course, subsequent to you learning more as the time went on. It's like everything he told me from a month previous to up until it all popped out, it stuck in my head. And I start questioning him about stuff. And everything I was questioning him pretty much was on the money all the way up to where a month previously when he was talking about his brother um, getting his parents a hot air balloon thing. And Let's worst... talk about the hot air balloon because people want to know at one point did – Danny actually get his father's gun. And from my understanding, from all the people that I've interviewed, there was this weekend that Danny bought these tickets. You told me that Tim mentioned to you it was during a season that was yeah. a little precarious, that right. weather-wise you really shouldn't be going up in a hot air balloon. And 
at the same time, he's also telling me that his brother's into credit cards and stuff fraud. And I'm like, he's getting numbers for credit cards. And I'm like, that's your get down, dude. That's what you were doing when you were working PC. Tim's telling you that that's what Danny's doing when, in fact, that was always Tim's MO. Right. And he was telling me Danny had three DUIs or something like that. And that's why his parents didn't want him at the house. It just wasn't adding up. That wasn't Danny's character. It was out of character for Danny. In many ways, it felt like he was becoming Tim, is what you thought. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, his character was not like that. So I was... You know, I was asking Tim, you get your brother on some drugs or something. And you were shocked to learn that. Well, it just his M.O. was just like, it was like a reading an open book, you know. And, and so I asked him and he said, no. I'm like, you sure? I want to go talk to your brother, have a sit down with him. So so before you get to that, the, the hot air balloon weekend, I want to tell our listeners that it was a weekend that Danny had bought these tickets for an anniversary present for his parents. And he then came to the house because, as you said, he wasn't allowed in the house alone because of some things that happened. He had stole, he had stole oh, he a check oh, and, and wrote it for $10,000. Oh. He stole a credit card and ran that wow. up. So he was doing things that really made them feel vulnerable, and they couldn't trust him at that point. And again, probably with the drugs and the lifestyle, eventually you need money if you can't hold a job, right? But so he sent his parents on that hot air balloon weekend and Tim and Lisa and Dan and Rachel all spent the weekend at the Wozniak home. And that was the weekend that Danny got Daryl's gun. And that was about a month or so before the murders. And he wouldn't know where it would he wouldn't know where it would be. Right. He wouldn't. Tell tell us where because you know where where or, or you're out. saying just I, I was so in then the who car. does know where it would be? Well, Tim would So basically in order for Dan to ha- take possession of the gun, he would need Tim's help to actually know where it, where it was located at the house. Get in the house. To get into the house. To even to lo- get in the to house. To locate it. To, right. I mean... And you said Tim would drive around with that gun. Tim had a propensity for dating married women, and so the husbands would find out and get upset well, with he, him. he had... Lisa had a husband and two kids in the house previously of being with Tim, and after Tim was good buddies with her husband... And decided, you know, his husband even gave him a car at one point. And the next thing you know, he figured that wasn't enough. So he took his wife and then she lost her kids, her car, her Mercedes, her husband. And she was in jail for Tim's shit. And Tim's laughing about it. You know, t- laughing at the letter she sent him. Yeah, right? reading me the letter In fact, people raised it. money for her bail and he went and gambled no, it. He, he was trying to raise money. I think he raised like a hundred bucks and went and gambled it. And laughed about that too. Tim was a real stand-up. He thought he asshole. could double his money, and he, he didn't think he was doubling his money. He ain't gonna walk away from the table. Tim's the worst gambler in the world. In fact, I can vouch for that because every interview I've had with Tim, he always goes over to the lottery ticket machine in in the bar, <laughs> and he buys those scratch offs, and he's scratching away, uh, scratching away, and I'm like, he, and he never wins anything. But I just think, what an odd thing to do but when you have no money to begin with and so okay so we're going back to that weekend uh we knew that that was the weekend that dan in fact got the gun he actually told steve Hare in one of four visits that steve had with daniel wozniak while he was awaiting his trial for the capital murders of of sam and julie danny told steve Hare that at one point he was thinking of killing his parents. He said to Steve, you know, Sam wasn't my first target. And Steve said, well, who was? And with his Bible in his hand, Danny took a little golf pencil that was there 
and wrote my parents in the Bible. And so that was the weekend. I know that Tim told you that he was even thinking of killing his parents. You know, in the fast forward all the way up to the present day, the the message that we both heard of his oldest brother is just a tell all that yeah, this has probably been it's probably been a little thing they've been planning for a while and now, you know, it's like uh And what you're referring to is a audio recording that we've both heard that Mike left a message on Tim's cell phone saying, have you killed mom yet? Right. And, and this is after previously of what hinned this thing he did to his father, which is like burning hell as far as I'm concerned. Because so, Daryl was a really good person. Didn't deserve that. So You're talking about Daryl's untimely death and what happened was Mike in December of 2015. Mike is the oldest Wozniak. So it's Mike Wozniak, then Tim Wozniak, who's, I think, close to seven years apart. And then Tim and Dan are 10 years apart, and Dan being the youngest. But Mike came home for a holiday visit, a Christmas visit, and you had said he was a wrestler at one point, and to keep a certain weight, well, he no, did a lot of steroids. Well, the no, combination of the steroids. He doesn't and the work alcohol. out anymore. He just drinks into steroids now. Um, so, he's but it's a, that ri- ro- that roid rage, right? That part of roid rage and part of greed. I, I would say. I mean, they all were like trying to like rush the inheritance or something. I mean, the inheritance. It's, okay, it's kind of like uh, openly blunt and obviously. I mean, when I heard Tim say what he said on the phone that one time, he told me, "My brother's in jail for life, and you ought to just put a gun in your mouth." Just, he told Mike to kill himself. And right. he said, that just leaves me. You know, it's all about the money. It's right? all about the nest egg. And I just, so, so what happened that Christmas was whatever, for whatever reason, Mike and Daryl had a heated conversation and Mike pummeled him so badly. Him. I seen him like... And did, you came in and saw him. To explain to, what, his, what he looked like when to, you came into the house. Daryl. He, he was just doing so good, too, and he was moving around. He was doing really good, and then he did that. And when I went and, and Daryl was not a well man. He was, he was, he was just coming out of the, like... Very the, overweight, walked around with a cane, right? He had a lot of health issues. And he was just getting his health back and being able to move around again when he did that. And when I went in there to see him, they didn't want me to go see him, but I went in there and I saw him because I had a good relationship with Daryl, and I'd always talk to him, you know, and... You saw him in the house. Right? I saw him in the house in the bed, and he was just like, just, oh, my God, two black eyes, bruises on his legs and arms. It was just horrible. I wanted to kill Mike, but he was in Missouri, so I couldn't, you know. Well, he wasn't yet. They kicked, that, that night, they kicked him out of the house. I mean, he basically, Marianne, when Tim arrived, Tim said, Marianne said, your brother is never allowed back in this house again. But she didn't call an ambulance. She didn't bring him to the hospital that night because... Danny had just started his capital case. Uh, From what Tim said, all of the bruising and the injuries would have prompted the the, oh, you the, don't know the doctors of, to had, call he, the police. He could have had, yeah, he could have had head injuries. Who knows what he had? I mean, he, he got beat up and pretty good. And then he died a month later. A month later, he passed. and Went into a coma and, and I told, died. And I told Tim, I go, if you talk to your brother, dude, I'm like, I know he's your brother, but dude, boy, after what he did, if you talk to him, dude, I mean, dude, what the fuck? And... He's like, I'll never talk to him. And then he talked to him. And then I heard that message. And they're laughing about, about killing, it. About killing, killing Laughing after. And he's joking around about it. I'm just like, I mean, like, there's a new level of piece of shit. And that's it right there. I mean, and his brother, I was just a contender for who's the biggest piece of shit. But you never know who's. Well, didn't you also tell me that Tim at one point 
was going to dress up as his brother for Halloween and would walk around calling him Richard Ramirez, the night stalker. Me, 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 me. Yeah, that was, that was his little joke at Halloween one time. And then he told me, uh, you know, he's like, he sounded pretty proud of his brother when he came out of jail the last time. He was like, I get all my drugs because everybody liked my brother. I was like, dude, you hear what you're saying, dude? I like, there's no, there's no, you know, I, I it just, it's a long persona of how he used to tell the story. It was like, poor me. I'd look at him going, dude, you're full of shit, dude. Poor me. Well, let's talk about just how full of shit he is, because I have now been saying on this podcast for many, many weeks that Tim was involved in these murders. And the reason I say that is for many reasons. But the first one I want to talk about, which is a phone call that took place between Tim and Dan at the intermission of the Nine performance on Saturday night. Now, Saturday night was the same night that Steve Hare found Julie Kibuishi's body in his son Sam's apartment. And so during the Nine performance, Dan shared a dressing room with the young Guido, a young boy, a 10-year-old boy that was playing the younger version of, of Dan's character in that musical. And Dan was on the phone with Tim at the time of this intermission. And Dan learned that Tim had to break a window for he and Lisa Gulledge to get into the apartment that Saturday night. And so this young boy is overhearing one side of the phone call where Dan is saying things like, you had to break my window and I'll tell you where the keys are to Sam's car. You have to sell the car. You have to get rid of the crate. The crate had all the tools in it, the bloody tools that he had dismembered Sam's body earlier that day, had Sam's bloody clothes and his bloody clothes and Sam's possessions. So Dan was directing Tim where that crate was and that he had to get rid of it as well. And this young boy overheard half of the entire conversation, which he later came forward with his father to share with the Costa Mesa police. Tim knew everything at that point, right? He knew it all. Why was he having to do all these things if he didn't know the details of what happened with those murders? I mean, he he came with that with that paper and that card the day before he came with that. What he told me, and on a Tuesday he came with that with the Afghan money, asking where he could trade it in and and the credit card. It was it was the Wednesday night at eleven thirty was when. You right. first learned about this gun, right, this evidence. But the day before is when he said to you, oh, I'll fill up your gas and tank. Then, and- so given all that, Sam Hare was killed days before that. You know, I used to tell his dad, like, you know, every time he got in trouble, like, you can't keep bailing him out. You know, you got to give him some tough love or he's going to keep doing it, you know. And- but that's not how Marianne treats her boys, right? I mean... I was telling Daryl that, and he's like, I can't. That's my son. You know, I was like, yeah, but you're going to hurt him more, you know, spoil the rod or something to say, you know, save the child. And he'd give him money every day, knowing that he probably wasn't using it in the best way, but because he needed... Buying drugs. But he needed money because he couldn't go outside with... Because his parents were... Um, they were really good people, but... Uh, older parents. In a, yeah, older parents in a higher social class. They like to have that persona of... Status. So they expected that of their kids, too. But... They you know, couldn't live up to that. No. And that's one of the things, like, I don't, at first I thought maybe that's what Danny was trying to do, is live up to that with that budget. But 
It was just the drugs, I think. It was just clouded his head so much that that's all he was thinking about is I need to get that and I need to have a place to do it and I need to have this girl be happy and I need to do anything to make that happen. Well, I get the sense from Tim and also Kathleen Comfort, their cousin, that none of the boys could live up to the expectations that Marianne had tried so desperately to hold on to. You know, like you say, the the image and the status, that all mattered to her and, and presenting a good picture of this perfect little family, right? And the boys could never, they felt like they could never live up to it. And they, no matter who they brought home, the girls weren't the right girls. The girls weren't good enough. There was a problem with each girl. But, um, well, you know what? He had actually had, way back in the day, he had one Italian girl that I thought she was a really good girl. She was pretty and and, uh, her parents lived in Laguna and and she had a good job. But she had uh, scoliosis. And so... She couldn't, it was no good. So Marianne said no good. Marianne, you have to take care of her in a wheelchair. You can't do that. But she was a good girl. And I was kind of like a highbrow. Then he had another girl, and she was like, a, gives you like the, the traffic tickets if you traffic, traffic cop. Traffic cop. He couldn't hide his life with her. And, and that's another one that like she, her she hu- found out quickly. Her husband, and that's actually her husband uh, is one of the guys that he was trying to run him ra- down on the freeway one time in the middle of the freeway. And Tim, the husband's grandmother's house, and... Uh, That's when Tim used Daryl's gun, he right, to threaten up, him. The husband put a lock and said, you're not using my grandmother's electricity, and put a lock on the electrical box, and that's when Tim came out and pulled that same gun on him, which, you know, the guy's a big guy, too. and uh, The same gun that he actually threatened his cousin Kathleen with. Yeah. He's an idiot, yeah. Yeah. So... Marianne wasn't happy, speaking of guns. She was not happy with you or Tim for, for turning in this gun, right? I mean, your relationship with her changed after that. I mean, I never even mentioned in all this time Danny's name, that gun, or any of this to her. I, In fact, the first time I seen her when I got out of jail, as Tim was leaving, telling me he's going to be right back and never came back, and I was sitting there watching his mother, I told her, don't look at the news or the, read the papers for the next two weeks. And she's like, yeah, people are telling me that. I'm like, yeah, you, you don't want to do that, too. This is once Danny confessed to the murders, right? This is, yes. This is after he did the, because when I walked in the house, she, he's talking about, uh, it's too bad Danny came out of a coma. And I'm like, I don't know. I, just, I don't know what the hell she's talking about. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, yeah, he, he tried to kill himself and jumped on, did a header on the bench. On the sink, yeah, uh, he tried to, he hit his head. He jumped from the top. I've heard people say that that's how you can get out of there is just do a, uh, get on the top bunk and do a head first gainer, you know, whatever. But, but you were surprised because she said he would he would have been better off if he died in that coma, Marianne. He was talking in the police ride over to the Orange County Men's Jail, asking them how he could kill himself. He the, also asked asking Rachel, the pol- asking the police. Yeah, how he just asked the inmates. They'll tell him a lot faster. And he also. I think you listened to the recordings, the the police taped recordings, the jailhouse calls that I like to call them, uh-huh. that Dan made to Rachel before and after he confessed to the murders. And he said in those calls at one point that he wanted to kill himself. He couldn't go on. And But I know that you listened to those calls. I'd love to know your, your uh, observation uh, of yeah, those calls. I love it when uh, Rachel comments, uh, it's no big deal. 
It was no big deal. He just told you two people were killed, and you and you know, you little lying bitch. You know you had something to do with that. But uh, putting that off, my own opinion, I'm saying like it's no big deal. He he's in jail, and two people are dead. It is a big deal. She's like a heartless ice queen. Is that the take, pretty much, from listening to those calls? Did you? Oh yeah, it was right off the bat. Like, I mean, I I I told him I go if you if I find out you and your brother and her were all hitting that pipe, then. I'll know that you guys were all involved with this shit. And speaking of hitting that pipe, you at one point did say to Tim, I want to go down and talk to your brother. It, whatever he told you about the drugs, he did say to you that he was getting involved in these credit card scams. And you were starting to get worried that yeah. Dan, in fact, was well, given slipping the... into the Tim lifestyle. So you wanted to go down there and talk right. to him. Right. Danny hadn't been at the house for three months. He wasn't allowed over there because of DUIs. He was involved with this uh, credit card. And stealing and from his parents. I didn't know about that. But he was involved with the, um, the, the credit card and fake numbers. And I was like, Tim, this is like starting to look like your, your rap sheet here. You know, I want to go talk to your brother, you know. And, uh, but he wasn't home when we went over there. Actually, when we went over there, Sam Hare said hi to Tim up in the balcony and he's like, oh, hey, what's up, Sam? He's like, oh, yeah, he's cool. We drink together. I'm like, right on. Where's your brother? You know, so we go over there. And he's so like, you met Sam briefly. I didn't really meet him. I mean, A I just, quick exchange. Not even hi. Uh, Tim said hi to him. I was just walking with Tim into the, into the downstairs But you apartment. saw that they knew one another. Yes. Yeah. He was up, up on the balcony where he lived drinking, and he looked over the balcony and said hi to Tim. We went into his brother's apartment. His brother wasn't there. And Tim's telling me how he's going to move into the closet in the balcony or some shit like that. There was a walk-in closet off the hallway. Yeah, it was goofy shit. And I was like, you know, you don't even, you can't stand your brother. And you're going to move into his patio closet. It didn't add up. So that was very strange for you to hear when you knew for so many years he did not get along with his brother and yeah. hated his brother. Yeah, I mean, he, he saw his call his brother Satan. So, And his brother was just like overzealously nice. Like, dude, you don't have to put that big fake smile Did he on. call his brother Satan just out of jealousy? Because I know he that... He was the golden child. He and, was the golden child. And then Sam 10 was, years later, Danny comes along. And then Danny's everything. Yeah. And took away his steam. Took away his well, spotlight. I think it was like... Right? It was Mike was the black the black sheep. And then... And Tim and, was this beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed, you know, golden served, boy. He, when I met Tim, he served. He, he scuba-dived. He was... He's a mountain man. You know, he, we could go places. I could get him a ticket to Hawaii and he couldn't go unless... Unless mom said it was okay. Well, no, unless he had his his tricks with him, his his little glass piece. Oh, know? okay. It's like you don't want to go too far from the chain. But uh, he changed. He changed a lot from when I first hung out with him to. He was that addicted that he couldn't even go on a was, holiday. Was or, sorry, still <laughs> was. still sorry sorry. If still. he wasn't, then he'd be doing. Yes, good right for now. our listeners, he's been in and out of jail now on a domestic violence charge, on parole violations. Uh, it's just, it's it's a string of them. And I think that the prosecutor must wonder what kind of uh, situation he's got himself into with making a, an arrangement with Tim. Let's talk about that arrangement with Tim because the prosecutor has said that he made no deal with Tim. But I, in my interviews with Tim, Tim Point Blank told me that the prosecutor... Made a deal with no, his he, attorney. He had mentioned something like that to me, too. Like, uh, you know. And I actually want to read to you in one of our interviews, just to refresh your memory, the conversation we had about the dialogue you had with Tim about this deal that he made with the prosecutor. 
Tim said to you, all I have to do is point the finger at my brother and I'm free. I don't have to do no time. And you said, well, happy birthday, Tim. I guess you got what you wanted. You're getting away with everything. And Tim said, I know. I told you I'm not getting charged. I knew a year ago. My lawyer said, all I have to do is point the finger at Danny. And you said, wow, you really got a good lawyer. If I ever end up killing anybody, that's the person I'll call. He must have went to the same school as Johnny Cochran. You and OJ, Timmy, you and OJ. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I know he said some stuff to me, and uh, it, it was in the terms of uh, his lawyer was going to handle this for him. And I used to tell him, man, you're not smarter than the FBI, but obviously your lawyer is, you know, so. Well, he, he would tell that to Kathleen Comfort and to his other friends that he was smarter than the FBI. He duped the Costa Mesa police. He, he told them that? He, yeah. He he uh, he basically got away with it all. And, and as if that was something to be proud of, as if. I mean, he. That's and what t- he's saying that prosecutor, he's a great off, guy. I just, I just went through all that. And then when I got out, we were at a, a friend's uh, ha- apartment, and then she had went to bed, and it was just me and him in the family room by ourselves. And I'm trying to, like, talk to him about what the fuck happened, and he's just denying everything. And I'm like, dude, you're talking to me, dude. What do you-? And he's like, my lawyer said, no, I can't say anything. Don't talk to anybody. I was like, dude. And that started pissing me off because it was like, dude, you left me in there. No one came to get me. No one that I was there for you guys. You know, for you. And you lied to me. And you, you got me involved and you point blank lied to me. Someone you've known since the tenth grade. But the lying thing is just that's it, that's what he does. I mean lying is what he does. I, mean, I told him, I mean, that's if you know Tim, he couldn't tell the truth, man. If you he he prefers to lie than tell the truth. Well that that actually uh segues into what I have learned based on a proffer that the district attorney's office offered Tim and his attorney. And a proffer is basically a tool that if you sit in a room with the prosecutor and you answer questions honestly and forthright, you cannot be prosecuted for anything you say in that room during that time. To That's your, what a proffer To your who? To your lawyer? Well, your lawyer is there. Cl- but in other words, the prosecutor, oh, the prosecutor the prosecutor was there, Matt Murphy, and Jose Morales, one of the lead detectives in the case, was in the room. And Steve, uh, Tim's attorney, was there as well. And the point is, is that the prosecutor is allowed or the police are allowed to ask you any question about the case they want. And the bottom line is, however you answer, if that answer is going to implicate you in a felony or a crime, they cannot prosecute you. That's the proffer. And so Tim had a chance to say it all at that point, but instead, and I have a copy of that proffer, each and every page in that proffer, it's about 80 pages long, transcribed, each and every page, he lied. He lied consistently over and over, and it actually went ended up going nowhere. They didn't get really too much out of him at all. And so, to me, if you're not willing to tell the truth in a proffer, you're you're involved, and you don't want anybody to know anything, right? And you're too afraid to come forward, and so you don't use that opportunity. But instead, they still went with him as a witness for the prosecution because they needed Tim Wozniak to tell the jurors that Danny did not have any mental problems, and then he grew up 
in a family that took good care of him and there was never any sign of mental incapacitation whatsoever. So there's no way that he can claim that he did this because he was insane. Just for the record, Tim Wozniak did plead guilty to one felony and no jail time, which is what he has told everybody his attorney told him. He would tell people Tim has told everybody that. <laughs> he told, he told uh, everybody that uh, Lisa was in jail for her kids. And I'm like, that's bullshit. She's in jail for after the accessory. and you're, Because and she you're, was there the Saturday night at the apartment. In fact, the reason why I think she bolted out of that apartment and the reason why she kept saying, fuck you, Tim, fuck you, Tim, and she was running down her, the street. He dragged her He into dragged that. her into that moment. She saw all the cop cars there because Steve Hare, at the same time that, that Lisa and Tim were in Dan's apartment, Steve Hare was three floors up in Sam's apartment, and he found Julie's body. So all the police cars were there, and she saw that, and she wanted no part of any of it. She probably also saw the crate with the bloody tools and the clothes and everything else because it's a one-bedroom apartment. I mean, it, it, it probably even smelled. I mean, she knew that he got her into this mess, and she wanted out. They immediately, I mean, I don't know, I'm asking you, they immediately um, went and disposed of that at the Nature Center after they had done that? Or was it there like a day? What was... From what? the from the um, naval base? Right. They went to either... Saturday. Saturday, Dan went back to the base, the Joint Forces base in Los Alamitos, and he proceeded to dismember Sam's body. Oh, he left him there and then went back and dismembered him? Correct. Oh, wow. And evidence seems to point to Dan having someone help him in the dismemberment of Sam's body. Editor's note. And another reason why it is my belief that Dan Wozniak had help dismembering Sam Hare's body in the attic of the theater was because Sleuth has obtained exclusive crime scene photos where it is very clear that there are two distinct sets of footprints surrounding Sam's body in the attic of the theater. As well, Tim Wozniak used to share with Kathleen Comfort, his cousin, how he was haunted and had dreams and he couldn't get the sound of bones crunching out of his head. Tim would also comment to Kathleen how the tools they took from Noah's shed were the worst possible choices to use to do what they had to do. They weren't effective at all. And you said you saw they found a Sam. bottle of Gentleman's Jack? Yes. Mm. Pretty uh, everyday drink for somebody I know. And who's that? Mm. That would be the wall. <laughs> I, I don't know Danny drinking, you know. I mean, I'm just saying uh, I know Tim's uh, favorite drink was Gentleman's Jack. And, and, uh, and Danny was more into wine at that point from what I understand. He and was... I, and the, like I told him that one time I got pissed off and I said what I felt. And when I did tell him that, his comment was just, well, pretty much you and Sam and Linda all have it pretty much figured out what happened. And, so... and his role. And I told him, you know, you're... This is a conversation you had with Tim in a hotel room. No, in his bedroom. Oh, it was in his bedroom. In his bedroom. And he was looking at the computer, and I was just looking at him going, you're a piece of shit. Because I don't know what you, Sam, and Rachel had going on, but that one Asian girl had nothing to do with any of you guys' bullshit. You killed her completely out of greed and evil. 
I know there was no reason you had to kill that girl. There's no reason you had to kill anybody, but you didn't have to kill that girl. She had nothing to do with that shit. She wasn't partying with you guys or nothing, and you took her life. And you're a piece of shit, and you brought in hell, and he's like, pretty much you guys got it all figured out. And I'm like... Didn't you say pretty much what Linda <sighs> Sawyer and Steve Hare... Yeah, he said pretty much what Steve Hare and Linda think is pretty much what happened. So he kind of so that's a, that's a, that's as much of a confession as you're going to get. That's all. It's all we've ever is all of he's ever acknowledged about any of that to me. That's another thing. Like Tim, he, we were driving one time, and I told him, like, uh, I go, I go, you fucking chopped up a marine, motherfucker. And he's like, he wasn't a marine. He was an army dude. And, oh, I killed him. I, was, I threw him out of the truck in the middle of an intersection. Was beat the, so mad at him. I mean, I was a good friend of his, and he was a good friend of mine. But that shit changed when he changed like that. Like. I mean, go ahead, and you're going to party. That's one thing. But you went, I mean, from the stealing to the lying. Lying, I can't stand lying and stealing. It's like my dad beat my ass if I lied or steal. And it's two things I don't do. And he was all in, into it. He put that stuff over his family and everything. Like he's coming home smelling like a tent, and he's trying to tell his daddy. He's telling me he's going to call the cops on his dad because he won't give him this check. He won't give him his passport to cash his check. And I'm like, dude. He won't give it to you because he knows what you're going to do with the money. And so his dad even told me, he's like, I know what he's going to do with that money. And I'm like, Tim, you go upstairs, you shave, you wash yourself, you smell like a tent. And I'm like, you go before you ask your dad for anything. You better not threaten him about calling no cops, you idiot. And so he did, half-ass shaved. So the parents knew the drugs, I mean. Oh, man, he, I mean, <laughs> they didn't. Yeah, he, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. They knew. They, they I mean, she's been trying I mean, desperately to get him in and out of rehab constantly. I mean, and, and that's what I mean. The unconditional love is like, this is I mean, to, he's all, 43 to all years the parents, old at this point, to all right? the 42? parents out there, to all the parents out there who have kids. If you think you could spoil your kids to the end of the world, it's not. And nothing will come of it. It's <laughs> not the best way to go about things. The Menendez boys, there's a next one now. There's three of them. The Menendez you know? boys. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, you got to really. You got to teach them right from wrong, even if it's and the hard And that there are, there are consequences to your actions and that you have to pay those consequences. And but, I don't think the Wozniak boys have ever had to pay mm. for their transgressions, except when it came time for Danny. Danny, Danny took the fall for everybody because he did commit he did. the actual murder. I didn't realize he did take the fall, but he probably, you know, I don't know. To this day, I... You know, like. Well, let's talk more about the details of what we do know about Tim's role. We know that he had the call with Danny that Saturday night when Danny was asking him to get rid of the evidence of the murders. We also know that Saturday late in the morning, he was actually seen by two people coming back to Costa Mesa to the Camden Martinique apartments. In Sam Hare's car, Danny was driving and Tim was in the passenger seat. And he came, and he was, they were coming back, obviously, from the theater. And those two people on the deck were, saw, finally, two very good friends of Sam's who were worried about Sam, didn't know where he was. And they called out his name, hey, Sam, hey, Sam. And normally when Sam drove in, he would stop the car and, like, get out and wave or, or do something to acknowledge them calling out for his, calling his name. But the car just kept coming. And as the car was coming closer, these two people were on the deck and they could see who was in Sam's car. And to this day, one, actually one of those people, Ashley Mathis, that 
was one of the witnesses, said to this day it haunts her that they didn't leave the apartment and go down to the garage and see why Dan Wozniak was driving Sam's car, to see why and where was Sam. But they didn't, they just sort of chalked it well, up. Well, they couldn't, I mean, they couldn't have They no couldn't clue. have possibly have known yeah. the extent, right? But I was floored when I found I've out. I've also had sources confirm that Tim was there for the quote-unquote cleanup. That's when he took the Afghan money and they cleaned the blood on the walls and the floor. And and even to this day, there's still questions that I have, as well Steve Hare has, because when I look at the reports, the Costa Mesa reports, and all the DNA tests that were done, a piece of evidence that was confiscated at the time when they had the search warrant for the Wozniak home was a pair of Tim's sneakers. In fact, when I told you about what was taken from Tim's closet, a pair of his sneakers that had blood and grass stains on it, and I very specifically asked you what type of sneakers Tim always wore. Vans. That's right. And you described them to a T. Black vans. That's correct. Lucky guess. <laughs> but you know. I mean, you've seen him in them. And, and yet those test results have never come forward. We don't know whose blood that is. But the Costa Mesa police were the ones that ran the test. Why the test results weren't there or why they will not come forward with those test results, Steve Hare actually went to the Costa Mesa police and begged them for those test results. And they said, we're not, we're, the case is closed. We're not going to do any further testing. Why, when the or, case was open, why wouldn't they like, address that? When the case was active. Well, I'd like you to answer your own question. Why do you think that they wouldn't want any definitive evidence to prove that Tim had Sam Hare's blood on his sneakers? There does feel like there's something not right here, and uh, whether it's political expediency or, or as you say, wanting that death penalty, wanting that win, having those cameras. I mean, you had 48 hours you had 2020 and Dateline all covering this case, and there was no way that he, that prosecutor was going to lose with those cameras documenting his trial. You know, that one uh, clip when he was getting interrogated, he was like uh, trying to say he was crazy. And I think that, I think Mr. Murphy was worried about that. He was worried that that was, that was the defense they were going to come up with. Could have been a crazy... Uh, and, what, and, you know, to this day, I mean, I've been in shows discussing my investigation and my research and work on this case. He's been on the same shows as the prosecutor, obviously. And he will say in a room full of cameramen and producers and everything else, Tim Wozniak is just an innocent victim of Daniel Wozniak, just like Sam Hare and Julie Kibuishi. And if I tell you the hair on, my, uh, on the back of my neck goes up, and I've actually heard him say it to the jurors in Rachel Buffett's accessory after the fact trial, the very same words. And there's Steve Hare and Raquel sitting in the front row, and they have to hear this. And he claims to care about their pain. And so... If you really care about the hares and the kibuishis, I ask you, Mr. Murphy, to please look again at these others that were involved that 
clearly there's so much circumstantial evidence that you have to show that these others were accomplices and not just accessories after the fact. I mean, most capital cases are won on circumstantial evidence. It's very rare that you have a videotape of a murderer committing the crime. (laughs) You know, you don't necessarily have direct evidence in most cases. And so I just hope that even with Rachel, she's going to be in county jail for a year. I can't believe that. A year. In in fact, the jury forewoman came over to me at the sentencing of Rachel Buffett for her two felony convictions. And she said she'd been listening to the podcast. And she even felt during the trial that Mr. Murphy was making a case for her being an accomplice, not an accessory. And I'm sharing with our listeners, we had... We had this 10-page dossier that, that Steve Hare and I collaborated on. I mean, we spent week after week for three years. You know this. You came to one of the lunches. Week after week, collecting the pieces of the puzzle, connecting everything. And we came up with this 10-page, I call it a dossier, that we handed to Don, Matt Murphy's investigator at the time. Don told Mr. Hare he gave him all the information. And so when you're sitting in that courtroom and you're listening to Matt Murphy's prosecution of Rachel Buffett, it does sound eerily like he's he's able to present to the jurors a case for her being an accomplice. So why? The question keeps coming up and all my listeners keep asking, why didn't he charge her with the murder? His own police officer Sergeant Ed Everett, who was one of the lead detectives in that case, Is that who died? the guy who died in the, in the no, that's a just that's a different gentleman. But Ed Everett, who was on the witness stand during Dan's capital case, and when Scott Sanders was pressuring him to say, "How? What do you feel about Rachel Buffett? What do you think about Rachel Buffett?" And he finally said, "Do you want to really know what I think?" And Scott Sanders said, "Yes," and he took his hand and pointed to Dan Wozniak and said, I believe she belongs sitting right next to Dan. And to Judge Hansen, who was the judge in Rachel's accessory trial, he wrote a letter saying, please give her the maximum because she belongs on death row with Daniel Wozniak. Meanwhile, Tim Wozniak's been in and out of jail since on he parole was gonna, violations. If this happened or not, he would have been, the route he was going, he's lucky that's all he's gotten. He went to Laguna for rehab and got, Put me there. I'll go there for, you know, it's like better than Betty Ford where he went, you know? Like he was sitting there with steak and lobster, I probably. But did, but he has told his friends, the ones that are still talking to him, that that's where he scored the best drugs. Yeah, all his friends are felons. <laughs> he don't have like his old friends. Uh, nah. I mean, and he also said that when he goes to the county jail, he's sort of a star because of his brother's, the notoriety uh, that he gets because I mean. of it's, his brother's It's just so shameful. Crimes. It's just shameless. It's, it's just... It's terrible like to uh to gloat on that i never heard him ever once say any remorse about these people losing their lives as this you know other than you know the time i was bitch i was going off on him and and i said you know about that girl and you know that's the closest he even came to even like being a little bummed about it i mean i see him just like almost bragging about well it what i hope that the costa mesa police decide for the sake of the victims families is that they decide to run the blood on those sneakers 
Who or he? they at least reveal, because I think the tests were probably already done. Who has And reveal these? the answers. Reveal the answers. They took the prints from inside Sam's car. I mean, Steve here told me when Sam's car was returned to him that there was the, the dusting powder all over the inside of the car. They obviously dusted for prints. And if they would release those results, we would know that... If Tim was in the car or not. I mean, besides the two witnesses that spoke to me, we would know. Who if has? the results would come forward and we found out that there were his fingerprints inside Sam's car, there would be no other reason for him to be in Sam's car unless he was involved in these crimes. If it's reflected in the report, then, of course, Scott Sanders, the defense attorney, has access to it. Right. So if so, it's maybe that's a- why there's a big fat blank next to the results. And so what about um, Mr. Hare? He couldn't call that for evidence? Why? The- he tried. He tried. He went down personally. Wow. And, Who denied and, him? And be- asked every person in charge. It went all the way up to the chief, from what I understand. Wow. I wasn't there, but that's what I was told. It's amazing, our judicial system. You know, it's like just amazing. The- Which is, that's why he's so frustrated. I don't know if you recall that he said in that press conference that he is disappointed because... In the justice system, what the results just proved to him was it's better to lie than tell the truth. If you lie, you'll only get a year in county jail. That's crazy. But that's the system we have right now. And, you know, the the Nature Center, I don't have to beat a daddy horse, but uh, the Nature Center, me and and Tim uh, always grew up going out there and, you know, going through high school and stuff. We always hung out there and stuff. His brother never did. (laughs) So the fact that that that's where they that was dropped, but uh, when so I, the nature center you're saying was more yeah, when his I found backyard. Out that's where, that, when he, I, yeah, when I found out that's where they dumped the stuff, uh, that was just another uh, brow raise right there. I mean, it was just too much. It was stuff, a red flag for too you. Too much stuff adding up at this point. Well, I, let, I owe Tim nothing at this point. I have done everything I could for him as long as I could for him until it was just like, dude, I. I can't live with myself and be your friend and overlook what you did. There was no honor in it. There was no nothing good about what he did. The type of war or in jail riots, you know, that's one thing. I know people that's done beheadings that way. And there's, you know, it's like, okay, you're in combat, you know, against somebody who's going to try to kill you. But this was just a evil thing that they did. And there's just no honor and there's no justification for it. And for me to be like, it's not like I'm a rat or anything. It's just the fact that I just can't see that killing that girl. I'm I'm not that guy, you know, to be like, oh, you know, fuck it. You know, I'm just like, that's that's fucked up. You can't condone that. I can't condone it. There's no. I mean, the chick was a really nice girl, too, you know, and pretty. She was really nice. She was going over to help uh, Sam because she was just trying to talk, you know, and they used that all against against her to kill her. And it's just a horrible thing, seeing that they're dirtbags and they don't give a shit about their own parents, let alone, you know, and if anybody wants to call me what they let them, because, I mean, I know that that's the way it was. And I think you said it wasn't about a honeymoon cruise. No, no. He could have got all that. They could have kissed their parents' ass and got all that. That was just about doing dope and getting high and not thinking straight. And that's how he could have probably got the um, insanity plea, because they would have said, well, your mind was altered because of these drugs, you know, because of sleep deprivation or whatever. And But that's not how the insanity plea works in the legal system he knew what he was doing was wrong right and that's the ultimate test if you say i'm not insane i like they'll say okay 
You're not, you know you're not insane. You're not insane. You know, it's really easy to get out of that. So to conclude here today, one of the things that you just mentioned was the drugs, the dope, the crystal meth, the soullessness of what crystal meth does to you when it pervades your life. And in the case of Dan Wozniak, Rachel Buffett, Tim Wozniak, obviously crystal meth was a huge part of their life. In fact, Tim told me point blank that after Danny confessed to the murders, Rachel came and spent a week with them at the hotel. In fact, Lisa confirmed this. Lisa Gollage confirmed this. She did not care for Rachel Buffett. But one of the things that I kind Tim, of had the same thing like him, Tim and Rachel might have been. Mm, who I, knows? I think that's I what know. she were. That's what she was wondering if they had something together because he even commented to you that isn't she pretty? Isn't she beautiful? And yeah, you were I like, mean, whatever. Uh, after I knew what she was about, oh yeah, I could really see that happening. Like you know, yeah, Tim being Tim. So oh, yeah. he told me, I'll never forget. We were at Huff's Hut in Long Beach, and he said to me, when she lit up the pipe, I, he says, I guess it's. I don't know anything about this stuff, but he said it's pretty intricate. You kind of have to know what you're doing when you light up, right? And he said she was a pro, an old pro, and spent the week, and and basically that's what they were doing. They were, Tim said, if she talks, then if I'm going down, she's going down. And did you ask him what he meant by that? Like going down for what? I, that's, and then I followed up with that. I said, going down for what? And he said... She knows, and that's why we left it. That sounds like him. I mean, he's not dumb. He, he played dumb pretty good, and his brain's a little cooked from all, all the sauce, but he's not dumb. Well, he, he told uh, another girlfriend that he came to court when he had to testify against his brother in, in his brother's capital case, on a, that he on, made sure he was drunk yeah, he off drank his a, ass. Yeah, he drank a bottle of Gentleman's Jack. Gentleman's Jack, so that he... Made no sense and... Said, I've been drunk this whole time. I was drunk when it happened. I don't remember I don't anything. remember anything. I don't recall. And he sort of meandered around double talking. And he he actually accomplished that. I was in court when he was testifying. And You're, I thought, oh, my goodness, he is useless. You, you heard him say all that stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Kathleen told me the same thing. Yeah. So, well, I want to thank you again for coming on. I know this wasn't easy. I know this family, you've known them for a long and time. I just want to say no disrespect to, to the mother. Um, you know, I just, my prayers go out to her that she had tried and done so much for her kids and still just, uh, too much to, to not, a, not enough, uh, stick, <laughs> not enough tough love. Yeah. Tough love or something. I mean, you know, it's all levels of tough love. You don't have to like turn your back on them, but you should Definitely let them know that money is not everything in the world. It's not the panacea. It's not going to cure. If your kid's on drugs and you really should, like, not accept it and, like, you know, turn a blind eye, you should really, like, concentrate on helping them if you can. Um, You know, I obviously rehab didn't do shit for for Tim. You know, it was just a vacation. That or jail. Does it make you wonder how not one, not two, but... Three Wozniak boys could have fallen to the dark side in life. Mm, makes a lot of people wonder that. And uh, a friend of Mike's, you know, has said in the past too that, you know, uh, what did he say? 
I mean, probably something, some kind of like uh, something weird probably happened uh, somewhere. In the house? Whether, I don't know what it was, but something weird. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, what, what makes a person just like, I don't know. Like, I might be just in the gene. You know, she had so much control over those boys or tried to have control. And, and, and the lies were their way of escaping that control. I mean, when he went on the cruise, he gets that credit card and he's James Bond, you know. He's a millionaire for the, for the cruise, you know. And he gets off. So, you know, he could play the role and he gets the power to play it. And when you get that power taken from you and you want it back, this maybe those are the extents you'll go by, you know, trying to get that power back. And, if, and if in he, the end... He wants the money, and he needs the money to, to play the role. And he went to the extra length to get it, I guess, you know, but he didn't get it. It's a good thing he didn't remember he had a boat. He could have just went out on this boat and dropped it in the ocean. I mean, In the end, power, money, drugs, it doesn't necessarily lead to a pretty picture. I mean, you just can't, like, just check out in life, you know. You got to really, like. I always try to keep priorities. I ain't no angel, but I mean, I am not, I'm not like one to put my family behind anything else. I put my family in, in front of, you know, these things. They're and, your priority. Well, yeah, and, and I just don't think that the family that was did so much for him was any priority to any one of them, you know, and it showed. They just lost sight of humanity. They just had no conscience anymore. Yeah, because they're narcissists, and I used to tell him he was a narcissist, and... He just laughed, you know. He, he didn't have no uh, remorse. He doesn't care. The only thing he, they, him and Rachel care about and Danny is that they got caught. That's why they're bummed out, you know. And I just want to say, um, you know, my prayers go out to Mr. Hare and the family and uh, the, Kibuishis. the Kibuishis and also the Wozniak's uh, father and mother. And with that, I say thank you for coming again today. Yeah, thank you, Linda. Due to Santa's arrival next Tuesday, we at Sleuth will be taking the night off. But rest assured, we will return for our finale episode of this season of Sleuth. And for that episode, we will be recording a live stream finale where all our cherished listeners have an opportunity to answer any questions you may still have for us here at Sleuth. Expect a few remaining surprise guests as well that you haven't heard from as of yet. To learn more about the details of when our live stream finale will be scheduled, go to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash sleuth podcast. And from all of us at Sleuth, we want to wish you and all your families a very happy holiday. If you enjoyed this episode of Sleuth, share it with a friend and be sure to leave a rating or review. Follow Sleuth on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. A new season of Bridgerton is here. 
And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.